If you have your Bibles, we're going to be, we're going to start in Genesis 37, right? We're going to get, uh, I'm going to say something scary. We're going to, we're going to go through about 13 chapters of the Bible this morning. And if that scares you, because you're like, we've heard you preach on like five verses and it's 40 minutes long, um, it'll be fine. All right. We'll, we'll get a pretty good clip here. Um, before we start, let me acknowledge um, I am dealing with some allergy issues, some sinuses. Uh, it's unpleasant for me. I can't imagine it's any more pleasant for you to listen to. So if I like begin to hack up a lung at any point while I'm up here, um, my bad. Okay, we'll we'll get through it together. But uh, let me let me say this um, to kind of get us started this morning. A question for you, and I don't want you to answer out loud. Um, <clears throat> with the rain, I probably wouldn't hear you anyways. But what comes to mind when you hear the phrase the biblical family? All right, I'll let you think on that for a minute while I find my spot here. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase biblical family? Right? My guess is if you think about it for a second, maybe what comes to mind is like some uh, like some family that's you got a husband and a wife, uh, maybe two or three kids, and everybody's beautiful and perfect and smiles and everything's awesome. Kind of like the, think of like, probably like a stock photo family. You know what I'm talking about? When you go to TJ Maxx and you get your discounted picture frames, and there's that family in the picture that just looks perfect. Right? Maybe that's what you think of when you hear the phrase biblical family. But when you take that phrase and you look at the actual families in the Bible, Right, that the families that God uses, right, that God records their stories in the Bible, lays it out in Scripture for us to read and kind of follow his plan of redemption. Like when you look at uh, these families in the Bible, man, they are a mess. Like they are all a mess. Maybe not all. That's, a lot of them are a mess. Okay? Right, the, the families in the Bible, the recorded on the pages of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? On these pages for us to read, to learn about God and his character and what he's like and how we respond to him. These families, like, they don't look like stock photo families. They, honestly, they look like the families at your family reunion that you're like, I don't want people to know that they're part of my family, right? And maybe you're like, I don't have any of those in my family. Maybe you're that family, you know what I'm saying? So, the pages of Scripture are filled with families that are broken. I mean, just incredibly messy. And so, I mean, this morning we're going to look at one of those families, and, and their story is like grimy, right? It's the story of uh, Joseph. We, we consider it the story of Joseph, but really it's more than just Joseph. There's brothers at play. There's a, there's a father. There's, I mean, this, this story of, of Joseph and his life and his family, like it is... It is, it is grimy, it is messy, and, it, and it's a, this chronicling of a family uh, that's got a lot of issues that God still uses to accomplish his good purposes. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, again, we're going to cover a lot. We're just going to highlight it, right? highlight some parts in this story, and then uh, I'm going to try and point out some things along the way, and then we'll come at the end and try and bring it all together. All right, but here's... 
Here's where things start off in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with, uh, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. So here's our first red flag. We've got two wives in the picture, all right? And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. And in verse 3, here we get, begin to see, like, issues in the family. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. All right, so this is the catalyst. All right, for the next 13 chapters, you've got Jacob. Um, we just sang about the God of Jacob, right? You've got Jacob and, and he's got several sons, but there's one son in particular that he loves more than all the rest, Joseph. Right? And it's not like a subtle, like, man, I love my kids, but Joseph, just something about him. I mean, this is like overt partiality. Right? It says he gave him a, a coat of many colors. Right? I imagine, to go back to my reference about family photos, can you imagine like what family photos look like? Everybody's in like their drab sort of neutral burlap or animal skins or whatever they wore back then and you got Joseph over here like rocking just the full-on flamboyant like sticks out like a sore thumb you know what I mean so so he's not even like subtle about it um, and then just as a, a side note like this is not uh, like this is a, a generational thing because if you go back and you look at Jacob's life you go look look back at, at his raising right he was his mother's favorite son Right, so we got this sort of uh, repeat offense here. This is what Jacob experienced. Right? Rebecca loved him more than Esau. And so he's just kind of passing this on down the line. Um, and understandably, this, this favoritism that J uh, Jacob sort of overtly um, has for Joseph, like it, it begins to create some tension in the family. You look at verse 4. It says, But when his brother saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Right? So dad's sort of obvious favoritism creates this uh, palpable tension in the home. Right? And it's not just like sibling rivalry. Like we all know that. We've all experienced that. But this is to the point where it says his brothers hated him could not speak uh, peacefully towards them. Like, they just just contempt for Joseph. Right? And then, in fairness, Joseph doesn't do himself any favors. Because if you read on in the story, uh, Joseph has these dreams. And in these dreams, uh, he, like, this imagery that he's going to rule over his brothers. And so you get Joseph going to his family. Like, I'd imagine, like, around the dinner table. It's like, guys, I had a dream last night. Oh, really? What was it, Joseph? I had a dream that you guys were all going to bow down to me because I was going to rule over you. Right? So you, you just, like, Joseph's not doing himself any favors here. There's, there's a, a ton of tension, and it grows to the point where Joseph's brothers conceive this plan that, that they're actually going to kill Joseph. Right? If you get all the way down to verse 18, it says they conspire against him to kill him. 
And, and their, their plan was, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. We're going to murder our brother. We're going to throw him in a pit. And then we're going to take this coat. We're going to take it back home. We're just going to tell mom and dad that it was an animal that did it. So that it, like, we're off the hook. And so you begin to see, like, this is a corrupt family. Like, there's some serious issues. Right? I don't know what, what's in your family history, but in this family history, like, there's some serious red flags. Okay? And then, but they don't do that because eventually one of the brothers, Reuben, has an ounce of compassion and says, hey, that might be a little far. All right, let's reel it back in a little bit. What if we just throw him in the pit and leave him there? And then Reuben has in his mind, he's going to go back later and get Joseph out of the pit. He's going to be the hero, okay? But so at the very least, Reuben talks his brothers into, hey, let's not kill Joseph. Let's just throw him in the pit. Go do our own thing, right? Sounds reasonable to them. So that's what they do, right? They strip him of his robe. They throw him in the pit and they go out and have lunch together as if nothing happened. And as they're sitting there enjoying their lunch, they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming through on their way to Egypt, and that's when uh, one of the brothers, Judah, gets this idea. Hey, wait a second. Very entrepreneurial in spirit. Maybe we can turn a profit off this whole gig. It's like, what if, what if we don't kill him and we don't just leave him in the pit? What if we actually sell him into slavery to this traveling band of Ishmaelites? Right? That way, you know, he's, he's not dead. He's not left in a pit. He's probably a little better off, right? And then we get some money out of, the, out of the gig. Like, this is the way. This is the idea. Right? And so here you have like the deceitfulness of sin on full display. Right? You got these brothers. At first it's like, let's kill him. And it's like, no, that's too far. Back up. Oh, here's what's better. Let's sell him into human trafficking. Okay, that's a better option. Right? And you see, I mean, this is a, a broken family. Right? This is... This is like literally they're fractured in the, in the sense that, that Joseph is no longer a part of the family because he's sold into slavery. They go on down into Egypt. Right? Joseph, or Joseph's brothers go back to mom and dad. They take the robes, smeared in blood, and they say, Mom and dad, he was devoured by an animal. It's tragic, isn't it? Right? And so you literally have a broken family and that the family's not a, a cohesive unit anymore. But then you've got just the... Like the broken by the effects of sin within this, this household, right? There's partiality, there's favoritism, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's contempt. You get some real serious sin happening in, in this family, right? And then if we go on to the next chapter, you, you see it play out again in uh, the life of Judah. It's kind of a little sidebar to Joseph's story, but uh, if, if you read through chapter 38, what happens in chapter 38 is Judah, Joseph's brother, raises some kids. They're deadbeat kids. And um, what happens is the Lord kills them, right? The Lord puts them to death for their disobedience. And so um, we don't have enough time to cover the whole thing, but, but Judah, uh, by law, is supposed to provide for his daughter-in-laws at this point, because their husbands have died, he refuses to do so. Right? And then a few years later, Judah's wife dies. He mourns for a couple days. Then Judah hits, goes downtown, finds himself a prostitute who, spoiler alert, turns out to be his daughter-in-law. Right? I mean, this is like Jerry Springer stuff. Okay? 
Like if you, we were talking about this the other night in our life group. If you think the Bible is boring, like we're just not reading the same Bible. I mean, this is crazy, absurd stuff. But I'm just trying to point out like the, the brokenness that you see in this family. All right, so th- that got us through two chapters. We're not making great time. Let's pick it up. You get to, to chapter 39 and the focus goes back to Joseph. And for a few chapters, we follow the story of Joseph. Right, he, he's been sold into slavery. He, he goes down into Egypt. Uh, and, and what happens there is... Uh, he ends up a servant in the house of a man named Potiphar, right, one of the Pharaoh's officials. And, uh, and, and this phrase that we see over and over and over again in Joseph's life, says, the Lord was with him. Right? Even in slavery, the Lord is with Joseph. And so uh, he's, he's a servant in Potiphar's house, but because the Lord is with him, he gains favor, and Potiphar sets him over basically all of his household. It's like you can just... Right, you, see, you oversee it all. You've got access to all of it. Just not my wife, okay? Seems like, a reasonable, seems like a reasonable deal, okay? But then what happens is Potiphar's wife develops a little something for Joseph, all right? And, and when Joseph, being a man of uh, integrity, right, the Lord is with him. Joseph's trust is in the Lord. Being a man of integrity, she comes on to him and he refuses her advances. So eventually she accuses him of attempted rape, which ends up with Joseph being sent to prison. Okay? Joseph just spiraling downward at this point, right? You think you're sold into slavery, things can't get any worse. How about prison? Okay? So Joseph ends up in prison and, and while he's there, uh, there's some, to, to kind of speed the story up, Right, Joseph in this, in this low point, but again, the, the, the text tells that the Lord was with Joseph, even in this low point, uh, and because the Lord was with him, gives him favor, he's able to interpret uh, a couple of dreams for some other prisoners, which ends up eventually, over time, not immediately, ends up eventually with him being brought out of prison, called into the big leagues to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams. Right, Pharaoh says, hey, I've had some dreams, I need an interpreter, some of Pharaoh's officials are like, oh, wait a second. We were in prison with that guy that knows how to interpret dreams. Go get him. So they bring him up. Pharaoh lays out his dream. Joseph interprets it. Right? And because of his interpretation, because it, it's like Pharaoh sees, man, there's something special about this guy. Right? His, his God is with him, even though Pharaoh didn't worship the same God. Pharaoh says, you know what? I need you on my staff. Right? I need you on my team. And so he promotes Joseph from prison, basically to be his right-hand guy in Egypt, right? the, most powerful, the most powerful nation in the known world at that point. So you consider Joseph's trajectory. Right? He starts essentially in a pit, quite literally in a pit. Right? And, and now, over the course of the last 13, 14-ish years of his life, now Joseph is the second most powerful man in all of the world, second only to Pharaoh. Right? And, we, and we know that God has been in, at work in Joseph's life. Right? We've seen that over and over again. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Right? But if you, you, you jump to chapter 42, what you see is that and God has been not only with Joseph, He's been orchestrating all of this 
all of this brokenness, all of this sin, all of this disruption in the family. He's been orchestrating all of this to accomplish his, his good, sovereign purposes. And because what happens is uh, there becomes a, like there's a famine in the land. Right? And Joseph's brothers right, are still living in the land of Canaan, but they're running out of food. And so Jacob, their father, sends them down to, uh, to Egypt to purchase food for the family because they don't have any. And so they go to Egypt, and uh, guess who's in charge of rationing out the food? Joseph. Little brother that we threw into the pit, that we sold into slavery, that we despised and hated and rejected. Right now, they don't recognize Joseph. His brothers, they don't, they don't recognize him. Okay? But, but Joseph recognizes them. And so he puts them through uh, a series of tests. We don't have the time to cover all that. Joseph puts his brothers through a series of tests to kind of determine, like, what, what's life been like for them the last, uh, the last few years? Okay? And, and what Joseph sees through that is there's been a, a little bit of change of heart. No, no, we don't know if it's just if they, uh, the, the, the Bible doesn't tell us if they've like experienced conviction over what they've done, or maybe it's just kind of the wear and tear of life has kind of humbled them over the course of the last 10, 12, 13 years at this point. Uh, I guess maybe a little more by this point. Uh, so we don't know what's happened, but there's been a little bit of change of heart, enough for, uh, for Joseph to realize he's going to reveal himself to him. And that's, so that's, that's what he does. Right, Joseph reveals himself to uh, his brothers. Right? And, and it's followed by some of these, these beautiful moments of, of reconciliation between Joseph and, and his brothers. Right? And that gets us to pretty much, we just went through 13 chapters of Genesis. I told you we could do it together. Right? But the story of Joseph and the story of Joseph's family, the story of his brothers... It's not ultimately a story about Joseph. Right? What it's really about is a, it's a story about God and what God does through imperfect, broken, messy, dysfunctional families like Joseph's family. Right? Because here's Joseph kind of, because he was... The Lord was with him. Joseph trusted God. There's moments in the story where Joseph actually declares what's happening. Let me point some of those out to you. Verse, uh, if you go to chapter 45, verse 4, this is what is recorded. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, this is as he's, revealing, as he's revealed himself to them, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Skip down to verse 7. It says, And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now one, let's just let's pause here. Think about what kind of work has, 
has been done in Jacob's life to where he could, I'm sorry, Joseph's life to where he could look back at, at man, brothers tried to kill him, tried to abandon him, sold him into slavery. And here, years later, like just not an ounce of bitterness, not an ounce of, of contempt for his brothers. Right? I'm just... I'm inclined to believe there's some of us in the room this morning, like we think back to something that, that our siblings or a family member did to us years ago, probably not to the extent of trying to kill you or abandon you or sell you into slavery. I don't, maybe, I don't know what your story is, like, but we're still holding on to that grudge, right? We got Jacob here who, who, I mean, because the Lord was with him and because he trusted the Lord, he looks back on, on these events that, that would have been traumatic. And, and, and he begins to see how everything's played out. And he's like, it wasn't just you all that, that sent me into slavery. It wasn't just you all that led me here. It was, this was God's doing. God has orchestrated all this. And he makes it really clear in chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, kind of the summation of, of Joseph's story. It says, but, God, or, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So, so Joseph connects the dots for his family right, to see that and what's happening here in, in all of these events is, is God working through this broken, messy, dysfunctional family to accomplish his good purposes. But I want to go one step further because as amazing as those verses are, here's, here's one that blows my mind. And before it makes sense, I've got to take you way back to Genesis 12. Right? You don't have to turn there. I'll, kind of, I'll read it for you. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, back to this would have been Joseph's grandfather, Abraham, who at this point was named Abram. Right? The Lord speaks to Abram and says to him, uh, go from your country. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And, and listen to this promise. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so, so that was a couple generations ago in Joseph's family. We would jump back into Joseph's story. Chapter 46, verses, verses 2 and 3. It says, And God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, God spoke to Jacob in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there, and here's the promise, right, re, uh, reignited. For there in Egypt, I will make you into a great nation. See what's happening here? Like, God has taken this promise that he made to 
Jacob's father, Joseph's grandfather, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Through you, the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And he goes to Jacob. Right? And he says, hey, remember my promise to Remember my promise to your father, your grandfather Abraham. That I'm going to make him into a great nation. That all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Hey, I'm still making good on that promise. Despite the brokenness, despite the corruption, despite the sin, despite the dysfunction of your family. And there's plenty of it. I am still making good on my promise to make you into a great nation so that all the families of the earth might be blessed. Is that not absurd? I mean, again, you dig into the story of Joseph's family. There's some grimy, messy stuff. And God knows every bit of it. There's nothing uncovered. God knows every sin, every... we just have what's recorded. Who knows what happened that wasn't recorded, right? This family's, they're jacked up. And God knows every bit of it. And he says, I'm still going to use your family to be a blessing to the families of the world. I mean, think of what we know of this family. There's partiality. There's favoritism. There's anger. There's greed. There's contempt. There's dis- dysfunction. There's sexual immorality and perverse, perversion. All of these things at play in this family. And God says, yeah, I know. And I'm still going to use you. And if that's where the story ended, that it, it would already be awesome. Right? But that's not where the story ends. Because you, you follow God's plan of redemption through the pages of Scripture. From Genesis, I mean, all the way through the Old Testament till you get to the New Testament, what you see is that over and over and over and over again, God uses broken, dysfunctional, sinful families to accomplish His good purposes. Just do a survey. Let's do a brief survey of some of the families of the Bible. Okay, some of the families that kind of, we, we tell their stories in kids' church, um, probably don't tell parts of their stories in kids' church, right? Think about Noah, right, saves humanity from a flood. Might need Noah's help today, I don't know. Right, saves humanity from a flood. You know how Noah's story ends? He's passed out drunk and naked under a tree. That's in the Bible. Right, that's just kind of the last we see of Noah. Right, Abraham, think of the story of him and Sarah. You've got infertility. You've got, uh, whenever they realize they... Haven't had a child yet, even though God promised one. Sarah's like, you know what would be a good idea? You go have a child with another woman that lives in our house, our servant. That's a good idea. So Abram's like, okay. And yet God uses this broken family. And then go on. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, part of this, again, part of this family we're, we're talking about this morning. You've got more favoritism, more greed, more deception that takes place right fast forward a few hundred years to david right king david man after god's own heart family marked by adultery 
cover-up of murder. You've got his own sons that are trying to kill him. I mean, these are broken homes, broken families, and yet their stories are, are, are recorded for us in the Bible, not so that we would follow them and, and exemplify them. That's not the point. This is not God condoning it and saying, like, hey, you should try this. It might work. This is God saying, despite what they've done, despite their brokenness, despite their sin, despite their dysfunction, God still plans to use them in his plan of redemption. Right? The point of their story is that God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he flips it on its head for his, his glory, for our good. Now, here's the big idea. Talk about an application point for this morning. I got one big point for you this morning, and it's just this God uses broken families. God uses broken families. God uses imperfect families to accomplish his perfect plan. He's been doing it since the beginning. Gosh, there's another family, Adam and Eve. Had one son murder another one. I'm telling you, the Bible is filled with this stuff. God uses imperfect families to accomplish his, his perfect plan. He's been doing it since the beginning. He's still doing it today, which is good news for us, right? Because I don't know all your stories. I don't know all the dirt kind of in your family background. Um, but I don't have to know that to, to know that there's some, there's some brokenness in here, right? Some brokenness in our homes. Like I... I know we live in a world where we kind of like, like Instagram world, we, like we put all the good stuff out there, right? all, the, all the good family photos, the ones that might actually make it to that stock photo someday. Everybody's all smiles and giggles and happy, right? We, but the reality is, has been we've all got some brokenness in our homes, right? We, we've, all, we've all experienced some real struggle. Right? We've all felt the effects of, of, of sin, either sins committed against us or sins that we've committed against one another in our families. Right? We've all felt that. I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have to know you or your family to know that there's, there's a pretty good chance there's some real brokenness and struggle in your, your family history. Right? Maybe not even your family history, maybe like in your families now, Right? You're present, not your past, you're present. You're like, we got some real struggles today. And that's, and, and the, look, here's where I want you to lean in. Because the enemy, Satan, would love nothing more than to convince you that because your family is broken, because there's uh, just depravity and sin, there's struggle, there's pain. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to believe that because all of those things are present in your home, that you could not possibly be used by God to do anything. So you just need to sit on your hands on the sideline while all those families that got it together, while they, they do the work. Those are the families that God's going to use, right? The families that got it all together. And if I'm reading my Bible right, I'm like, that's just not what I see. I see God using really broken families to accomplish his plan. Again, we're not condoning brokenness. God's not approving brokenness. He's just saying despite your sin, your brokenness, despite 
when the sin committed against you, despite your struggles, despite your pain, despite your dysfunction, right? the Lord will use, can use your family to accomplish his good purposes. Right, we, Friday night, my life group meets, I did not get their permission to share these, so I will not say any names. We sat around our table, just kind of recounting our family histories. Not a single family around the table didn't have some sort of brokenness in their family past. Not a single one. And yet, every one of the people at those tables, every one of, the, every one of those people at that table, are part of a life group, trying to love and serve and build up one another. Every person at that table is serving this church in some capacity. Every person at that table God is using in one way or another to advance his kingdom. Despite the brokenness. Despite the dysfunction. Dare I say that the brokenness of your family might, not doesn't disqualify you, it might actually be what qualifies you for God to use you in his plan of redemption. And I, and the, I say that, some examples. You know who's really good? Who's really good at, at supporting families that have been ravaged by addiction? Other families that have been ravaged by addiction, but have seen the Lord strengthen and sustain them through it. You know who's really good? I got example after example. You know who's really good at loving and serving single moms? Other single moms that have seen the, the Lord strengthen and sustain them through it. Right? You, you know who's good at ministering to children from broken homes? You see the pattern here, right? Men and women who grew up in broken homes and know the struggle of growing up in a broken home and have found that the Lord redeems even the most desperate of situations. You know who's good at, at ministering uh, to people whose marriages are falling apart? Families whose marriages were about to fall apart until the Lord got his hands on them. Could it be then that the sin, the struggle, the brokenness in your family is exactly what the Lord wants to use to redeem and restore, to bring life, to save? Right? The Lord redeems this stuff. This is what He does. He takes these broken, fractured, messed up, dysfunctional areas of our lives and he uses those to accomplish his good purposes. It's what he did in the life of, of Joseph and his family. It's what he's still doing today. It's what he's still doing today. And if I could zoom out even a little further. So we're talking about like your biological family this morning, whatever it looks like. If we zoomed out a, a little further, is this not what the church is? One big family made up of imperfect, broken people that through faith in Jesus Christ, God has adopted us into his family 
Right? And, and we're still striving to love one another. We're still striving, to, still striving to obey our Heavenly Father more consistently. And yet God uses us, His imperfect, broken children, part of His imperfect family, at least on this side of eternity. He, he uses this imperfect family to redeem and restore and bring salvation and, and to adopt even more broken people into his family. God works through broken homes, broken families to accomplish his perfect plan. Right? Both our biological families, both the household of God, the church. God works through broken, broken people because, listen, it's all he's got to work with. It's all he's got. Because when God works through broken people and broken homes and broken families to accomplish his good purpose, you know who gets the credit? Not us. He does. Right? So I'm going to leave you with this. So go back to that promise that God made to uh, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to all the families of the world. He reiterated that promise to Jacob. Can I make you a great nation? You fast forward a few thousand years, and the first page of the New Testament begins with the genealogy. It says this The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. That's Joseph's family. It's interesting he chooses Judah here. Sermon for another day. But you skip down to verse 16. It says, And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. The broken family from the last 13 chapters of Genesis is Jesus' family. You should be encouraged this morning that even, even Jesus' family tree has some pretty crooked branches. Right, this is, and this is the good news that, that even though our, our families are broken, sinful, struggling, that God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he redeems it. Flips it on its head from brokenness to blessing for his glory and for our good. All right? So here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, going to move into a time of response. Um, and I'm going to pray for you, for your families, for the brokenness in your homes. But we're also going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning as a family. That's what we are. That's what the church is. It's not like a family. It is a family. And so we're going to receive the Lord's Supper as just our, this is our way of being reminded that, uh, that Jesus came to save us from the sin and brokenness that we've talked about this morning. Right? And so for uh, for this is for all those who've been adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian here this morning, come and receive these elements. Uh, take them back to your seats. This morning we're going to let you take those just kind of on your own time as the band leads us in uh, a song. So you come and get these, take them to your seats and uh, receive them whenever you're ready. Um, and then... Uh, we're just going to stand and we're going to worship. We're going to sing how great the Lord is for redeeming the brokenness 
in our lives and our family's lives and using it to accomplish his good purposes. All the while, right, I'll be down front if you need someone to pray over you. Maybe you've got a family issue you just want some, some prayer for. We'll be glad to do that. Uh, but but as, a, as our time of response this morning, we're just going to remember what Jesus has done, um, how his broken body and shed blood is what covers the brokenness of our own homes. All right, so let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for um, oh, just your grace, thankful for your mercy, thankful that you take, um, Lord, you, you take things that have been ravaged by sin and struggle, Lord, our, our homes, our families, our lives, uh, and, and in your grace and in your mercy and in your kindness and in your, your goodness, Lord, you flip those things upside down so that what, what the enemy meant to and destroy us, you, you redeem those things. You, you one, you cover, them by your, uh, you cover them by the sacrifice of your son. Lord, you, you lavish us in grace so that we're not, and we're, we're, we're declared righteous. We're not, and we're not under the penalty of sin anymore because of what Christ has done. But not only, not only do you save us and forgive us, Lord, you also send us back out um, so that these areas of our homes and our lives that are broken and, and ravaged by sin, Lord, you redeem those so that we might reach others, others who are broken, others who need to find forgiveness and redemption. So we thank you, Lord, for your body broken for us this morning. We thank you for your blood shed for us. And Father, I just want to pray for these families here this morning. I don't know their stories fully. I know some of them. Uh, I don't have to know them. I know there's brokenness because we're broken people. I know anytime you get sinful people living in close relationship with one another like a family, and then there's some things that pop up, and they're pretty ugly. And so, Father, for those families here this morning that look back on maybe their past, and they've, they've believed the lie that because of brokenness, because of sin and shame and struggle, that, that they don't really have a part to play in the family of God, I pray that you would, um, Lord, help them to confront that lie this morning, that they would believe the good news of your grace and mercy, and that maybe they would step into, Lord, being used by you, step, step out of shadow and out of hiding and into the light and just say, man, this is my story, and Lord, I, I trust you want to use it. And the Father, maybe it's not Maybe it's not our past. Maybe it's our present. Maybe it's what we're living in right now. Or maybe we come here this morning, but last night, man, things were a mess at home. I pray that today would be an encouragement that, that despite how things might look right now, that, that you are present and that you are at work. And Lord, we ask that you would redeem even these things that are fresh this morning sin and struggles and pain and hurts dysfunction the things that feel like real and raw would you redeem those in your time and until you redeem those would you give us patience help us to trust or would you sustain us in that father i pray that you would meet us here in a 
special way this morning. As we receive your supper, just be reminded of your grace. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.